Thank you, Greg, for leading us in worship. And so many of you that help him and work with him and serve with him and uh, lead us so beautifully through a time of worship. I think that it's so easy for us to forget how lucky we are as a church um, to have the musicians, to have the talents, and to have the abilities to uh, worship in the way that we do. So thank you all so much for that. Hope you have a Bible with you this morning, and I want to invite you to take it and turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. We finished um, a couple of Sundays ago out of Second Peter, and so for the next six or seven Sundays, we are going to be walking through the book of Jonah together. Now, I realize that many of you, um, if you grew up in Sunday school like myself, you grew up and you heard all the story about Jonah and the well and the whole Sunday school story, the vacation Bible school story that goes with that. But and the reality is, in an increasing world of people that haven't been brought up in church, they don't have those same Sunday school lessons, and they don't have that same background as so many um, have been blessed to have. And so as we come to the book of Jonah, some of you may not even be sure where the book of Jonah is at. So feel free, at the front of your Bibles, there's a table of contents. If you don't have one of those cheap little electronic devices, you have a table of contents in the front, and you can look it up there, what page number it is. And... Uh, yeah, see, that's what he's going to do. So the idea that you can look it up and feel free in the table of contents, but if you want to make your way there to the book of Jonah, or if you are like other people in the room and you grew up with the same Sunday school story, um, I'm going to guess and I'm going to hope that maybe you haven't looked at the entirety of all four chapters. You hear the Sunday school version, you hear the story in, in, your, in your elementary age, but you never think about what Jonah has to teach uh, so Jonah chapter one is where we're going to start at this morning as for the next or six or seven Sundays as we work through this book together. I've shared this story before, but in the original version of Alice in Wonderland, there's a scene where Alice is walking through the woods and trying to navigate her way to where she is going and she stops at a fork in the road. And she's looking at this fork in the road and as she's looking, she can't figure out which way she should go. Obviously, she's got to choose one direction or the other, but she's not really sure which place to go. And about that time, up in the tree, the, the Cheshire cat appears. And the Cheshire cat looks down and engages Alice in conversation. And Alice looks at the, the Cheshire cat and says, which way should I go? And the Cheshire cat smiles and he looks at Alice and he says, well, it depends. Where are you going? In a moment of an honesty, she looks at the Cheshire cat and says, well, I really don't know. And he responds to her and says, well, it doesn't matter which path you take if you don't know where you are going. I've said it often that our direction will determine our destination. And the source of the direction that we seek and that we employ in our lives matters. And yet we are living in a day and age when there are far too many, both children, teenagers, and adults that are not following the path that God has for their lives. They are following a lot of directions that you might find on social media. They are following directions that you might find in pop culture. They are following directions they might hear from their peers and from their, the culture around them, but they're not following the direction that God has for their life. And when you come and you talk to them, there are far too many of them than they should be that they really don't know where they should be going because they're not following the directions that God has given them. 
So this morning, I want to ask you to come with me here to the book of Jonah, chapter 1, and starting in verse 1, and we're going to look at God's direction for the life of Jonah. I think there are a lot of parallels that you and I can see in ourselves in the life of Jonah, and there are things that we can learn about how God gives direction, how God points in direction, and how God expects us to follow the directions that he has given us for life. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when you and I stand before God, He's not going to ask you if you did everything the preacher said. He's not going to ask you if you did everything the culture said. He's not going to ask you if you did everything your teacher in school said. He's not going to ask you if you did everything you thought you should do. What he's going to ask you is, did you follow him? Did you follow the word of of God. So this morning, I, I want to invite you as we're going to start here and we're going to look at um, these directions that God gives to Jonah. And there you see in your notes, I'm just going to try to boil this down this morning. Some of you may think, oh, well, only two points to the message. So that means we're going to be out early. Um, we'll see. So the idea is that there are two choices that you and I make every single day. This is the, this is the whole framework for where we are moving. There's two choices you and I make every single day. And I'm going to give them to you at the very beginning. There is obedience and disobedience. I realize that you may want to dry it up and further, uh, further explanation than that, but the reality is, is in our daily lives, either we are choosing to be obedient or we are choosing to be disobedient. Now, I want you to see this obedience with me as God gives it right here in chapter one and verse one of the book of Jonah. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. If you think about how God works and how God gives direction and how God gives us what he wants us to do with our life, God comes in and God reveals his will. Right there in verse one in chapter one, it says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It was popular in the Old Testament setting that God would speak to his people, that God would direct his people, not only through his voice or through his word, but often he used the Old Testament prophets. But you will see over and over again through the time of the Old Testament where the Lord, the word of the Lord came to his people. If you go maybe one page back to the left, Obadiah chapter 1. Obadiah chapter 1 and the second half of verse 1 says, Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. And then you keep going back to the left and you get over to Amos. Amos is right before Obadiah. And you will see, and I want you to see this with me, all through this refrain, thus says the Lord. Amos chapter 1 and verse 3, thus says the Lord. Verse 6, thus says the Lord. Verse 9, thus says the Lord. Verse 11, thus says the Lord. Verse 13, thus says the Lord. All throughout the Old Testament, you see this idea that God is not just speaking to his people on what he wants them to do, but he's speaking through his prophets. So here in Jonah, not only is Jonah being spoken to by God, but Jonah is classified as one of the prophets of God. Now, wouldn't, be that, wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be so easy today if every morning we got up and God just had a conversation with us? All right, let me give you the to-do list. Let me tell you what to do. But in the New Testament era, in the New Testament covenant, we realize that God does not speak primarily audibly or to us. What God does is he speaks to us through the example of Jesus Christ, through the canon of Scripture, and through the Holy Spirit. But at any time, God is revealing himself to us. That is why you have a Bible. That is why I encourage you to not just have a Bible, but to read your Bible. Is because through God's word, God reveals his will for us. 
The reason why we know what God wants us to do and what God doesn't want us to do is because we know what God's word says. There are a lot of great teachers out there and there is a lot of great curriculum and there are a lot of great aids in helping us understand God's word. But none of it, none of it supplants or supersedes God's word. So there in verse one in chapter one, it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah. God is revealing his will. God is gonna say, if you are gonna be obedient, I'm gonna make sure you know what I want you to be obedient in. So not only does God reveal his will, but then God gives us purpose. See there in verse two, he says, arise and go to Nineveh. So he's coming to Jonah and he says, all right, Jonah, I'm gonna tell you what I want you to do. And then I'm gonna tell you what I want you to do with your life. I want you to rise and go to Nineveh. This is reminders of me of, you go to Matthew chapter 28 and what does he say? Go and make disciples. John chapter 13 and verse 34 and 35, Jesus is speaking. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus is telling his guys, this is what I want you to do. This is your purpose in life, to make disciples, to love God and love other people. He gives us a purpose to our lives. So many times you will find people that will ask the question to young people, what are you gonna do when you grow up? That is such a worldly-based question. Maybe we should... Maybe we should adjust the question and say, what are you going to do with God with your life? What are you going to do with God with your talent and your resources? What are you going to do for God with your time and your faithfulness? What are you going to do with God with your knowledge and your abilities? What are you going to do for God? God comes in here in Jonah and not only does he say, this is what obedience looks like. I'm going to tell you my will and I'm going to give you a purpose. Every single one of you in this room, saved or not, has a purpose from God. Every single one of you, God has a plan for your life. Every single one of you is intentional, created in the image of God, and God has a plan and purpose for your life. If you are here this morning and you may say, well, I don't know what God wants me to do with my life. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with the time that God has given me. I'm going to tell you that it may be a time of discovery, may be a time of understanding, may be a time of fleshing it out, but the reality is, is through God's word, he says that not a single one of you here this morning It's an accident. Every single one of you have a plan and purpose given from God. But not every single one of us in this room knows what that plan and purpose is. So he says, God comes to Jonah. says, this is what I want you to do. Let me give you a purpose. I want you to rise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Baked into that language is the idea that I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to tell them about God. I want you to tell them about who Yahweh is. I want you to tell them what obedience and faithfulness to Yahweh looks like. I want you to go tell them about sin. I want you to go tell them about judgment. I want you to go tell them about who they were created by. So he tells them, this is your purpose in life. But then notice there again in your notes that God then defines Obedience. Because God comes to Jonah and he says, all right, Jonah, I want you to get up and I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell Nineveh about me. You know, so many times in our world, in our lives today, we try to define obedience. Now, when God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I want you to get up and I want you to go, then what is the definition of obedience in this passage? The definition of obedience in this passage is that Jonah gets up and he goes. 
He goes, and not just that he goes wherever he wants to go, but that he gets up and he goes where God told him to go, and he does what God told him to do. It's this idea that when God tells you to do something, you and I don't get to then sit back and say, well, now we decide what we are going to do and what we are not going to do. That has been the ploy ever since Genesis chapter 3 from Satan. To come in and try to misuse God's word, to misapply God's word, to twist God's word, and to get you and I to think that if we do half of what God's word says, then that is sufficient. The reality is, is we are either going to be obedient based upon the definition of God's word, or we are not going to be obedient based upon the definition of God's word. My parents, Wayne and Charlie Ann McConnell, have been the cooks for their children's camp for years. We would go with them from time to time, and it was a common scene you would see every single year. They would be there in the dining area and the kitchen area, and there would always be, I think uh, even Hayden got stuck with this one year, you would have to come in and you would have to sweep the floors at the end of the evening. And those young people would come in, and they would come in, and they'd sweep the floors, and they'd go and say, all right, Mr. McConnell, I'm done sweeping the floor. Well, here my dad would come, and my dad would point out, well, you missed this spot, you missed that spot, you missed this spot over here. And they would hang their head and they would grumble a little bit like, meh, 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 meh. and they'd grab the broom and they'd go and they'd sweep some more. And they'd come back and say, all right, Mr. McConnell, we're done. And he's like, are you sure? Oh, yes, we're done. And then he'd point out some more spots and they'd put their head down and crumble and cry a little bit because mama lets them get away with this kind of stuff. But they, they'd go back and they'd sweep it again and they'd come back, maybe a third, maybe a fourth, maybe a fifth time. And they'd come back to my father and they'd say, all right, I'm done. And he said, are you done? Oh, I'm done. Are you sure you're done? Oh, I'm sure I'm done. You have swept the entire floor and you have swept it well. Oh, I have swept the entire floor and I have swept a well. And then my dad would do this. And he would say, so would you agree that if I sweep anything that I'm able to sweep up, you will eat? And you can see the look on their face. The look on their face like, why would I do that? Why would I eat dirt off the floor? But that was the point. The point was, if they said they had done it, and if they said they had done it completely, and if they they said they had done it faithfully, then there shouldn't be anything that my father should be able to find on the floor to sweep up for them to eat. The reality is, is that what they had done is they had done it 50%, 80%, 85%. 90 percent and what my father was trying to teach them is is the job is not done till it's done and you can't call it done if it's not completely done and yet in our daily lives we want to try to redefine what it means to be obedient we want to try to redefine what is right we want to try to redefine what is wrong we want to try and redefine what is sin we want to try to redefine what is faithfulness and God comes to Jonah and says Jonah this is what I want you to do this is what I want you to do with your life and here is the question Jonah the question is is are you going to do it or not I remember going to this same sweet father and I said God I mean I said Gad I think God's calling me to go pastor a church in Ardmore I remember him stopping what he's doing and he's looking at me and saying, son, you have no idea what you're doing. I said, yes, sir, you're right. I don't. But what I do know is that I have assurance, as much of assurance that I could have, is that this is what God is wanting me to do. And sometimes you and I are going to wake up in the mornings and God's going to call us to obedience that we can't explain, that we do not understand. But the question is, is are we going to get up and go do what God is telling us to do. 
So the question is, the first choice that we have is obedience. The second choice that we have is disobedience. You have obedience and then you have disobedience. Now you may say, well, can I have a, can I have a third option? Can I have a fourth option? Can I have a fifth option? No, when it comes to God's word, either we're going to be obedient to God's word or we're going to be disobedient to God's word. So you can, can you just imagine with me in our sanctified imaginations, just kind of go through this idea, even though the text doesn't say it verbatim, imagine what is going through Jonah's mind. Jonah is there. We don't know the exact place he was at when God came and spoke to him, but if he's down there and somewhere around the Jerusalem, middle Israel area, he's down there. And Nineveh is about 500 miles, 500 miles to the northeast, and it's over in what is known as Assyria. Now, the Assyrians had a reputation. Now, during this time when God came and spoke to Jonah, they weren't currently oppressing the Jewish people, but they had a reputation. They had a reputation of being mean people. They had a reputation of being cruel people. They had a reputation of mistreating God's people. They had a reputation of coming in, conquering and pillaging and doing whatever they wanted to do. The Assyrians were not besties when it came to the Jewish people. And not just were the nations at odd against each other, but then you consider 500 miles. Now, you can drive 500 miles in a day's time, and it's a good little click. But if you take off and walking, and you're going to walk 500 miles, that's not something you do in a day. That's not something you do in an evening. That's not something you do for a good stretch of the legs. That's something that may take you even up to a month. And as he is walking the 500 miles, he is not walking down the nice, green, covered, shaded grove. He's walking across some of the most daring, barren, some of those most barren countryside on the face of the earth. So can you imagine if you're Jonah and you got maybe pretty comfortable where you're at? God comes to you and says, I want you to get up and I want you to go to Nineveh. And when you get to Nineveh, I want you to tell him about God. And Jonah is sitting there going, hmm, let me see here. So the Assyrians and the Jews don't like each other. They are a pagan culture. They're not going to like to hear about God. They're 500 miles in that direction. I don't want to go do it. So you start finding all the reasons and all the ways to justify your disobedience. And when God comes and God speaks to us and we know what we should do, Satan is not too far behind to give us reasons not to. And you and I may come up with some very good justifications. You and I may come up with some very good reasons or ideas. You may look at the preacher and say, preacher, I can't do that. And you start mumbling and rumbling through all the reasons why you can't. The reality is, is if God says do it, then you do it. And either you're going to be obedient or you're going to be disobedient. So right there between verse 2 and verse 3, there is a whole conversation that I imagine that happens in the mind of Jonah as he weighs the options. Option A is that I do what God tells me to. Option B is that I don't. The problem is, is Jonah knew, and I think instinctively every single one of us in this room knows That when we know what God wants us to do and we choose not to do it, the result is guilt and conviction. We feel bad. We don't have any peace. And so many times that can come across as agitation, discouragement, or a whole system of maladies in the person's life. There may be people that you know that have once been in church and they're no longer in church. And when you go to them and you ask them about church, they say, well, just don't talk to me about that. Or the preacher made me mad or the church did this or or they have these excuses. But many times, many times at the root of it, they're dealing with guilt and conviction. 
Or you may be in a conversation with somebody and they may not, uh, may not be a believer in Jesus Christ. And as you're talking to them and they become agitated, I don't know why you're talking about the, this Jesus stuff. I don't know why you're telling me about this sins and forgiveness and all of these things. And oftentimes at the root of it, it's guilt and conviction. Jonah knew the effect that guilt and conviction has on a person's life. So what Jonah did is what you and I often do is we think that we are going to get up and get away from the guilt and conviction. But the reality is, is that guilt and conviction do not go away. It does not go away until you have dealt with the guilt and the conviction. So it says there in verse 3, but Jonah rose, Jonah rose not to go to Nineveh, but to flee. To flee means to get out. The flee is this idea that, that he runs, that he moves, that he says, okay, God wants me to go this way to Nineveh. I'm going to go as far in that direction as possible. Now we don't know. Now we don't know. Some of your Bibles may try to tell you, but the reality is, is nobody knows exactly where Tarshish is at. Some people think it may have been an ancient city in Cyprus. Some people think it may have been an ancient city there in Spain. Some people have these different ideas. The, the, the uh, consensus is it was, it was in the western Mediterranean Sea. So when a Says that Jonah went down to Joppa. Joppa was just the seaport there in what is modern day Israel on the eastern side of the Mediterranean. He's getting on a boat in Joppa and he's going to try to head to Tarshish. In other words, the, the, the example is, is that he wants to, God wants him to go as far to the eastern part of the known world as you can imagine. He decides he's going to go as far to the western part of the known world as he can imagine. He thought in his mind that he could get away from the guilt and the conviction of God. Some of us do it in our lives today. We think that we have guilt and conviction in our lives, but instead of dealing with the guilt and conviction in our lives and doing what it calls to, to be obedient, we just simply mask it with busyness. We mask it with noise. We mask it with distractions in our lives. This little one-year-old sitting here in mama's lap right now, he will get tired. And you can tell that he's tired because he'll start rubbing his eyes, but he doesn't want to go to sleep. He doesn't like the idea of going to sleep. So he will fight it and he will fight it and he will fight it until the point that you tell him to lay down and go to sleep. But he knows that he's tired. You know that he's tired, but he's trying to fight it because he doesn't want to go to sleep. Brothers and sisters, there's some of us in this room that we have been fighting and we have been resisting against the guilt and conviction. And you think you can cover it up with a job? You think you can cover it up with a relationship? You think you can cover it up with a hobby? You think that you can cover it up with busyness? You think you can cover it up with more activity? You think you can cover it up with more Bible reading or more church attendance? Or you think that you can cover up with all the ways that man says to find pleasure and happiness in this world? But until you do what God wants you to do, you're going to have the guilt and conviction in your life. So notice what Jonah does. In verse 3 it says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He gets up and he thinks to himself, You know what I'll do? I'll just get so far away from God that I don't have to deal with the voice of the Lord. I don't have to deal with the word of God. I don't have to deal with the guilt and conviction of my life. But can you just imagine what Jonah is doing? He's getting up and he's leaving. He's leaving his home. He's leaving his livelihood. He's leaving his family. He's leaving his friends. He's leaving all of these things because he didn't want to be obedient to God. Sometimes we will risk more to rebel than to obey. Sometimes you and I will risk more in this life to rebel 
in our disobedience to God than we will to just simply obey what God is telling us to do. God says he'll provide for our needs. God says he will take care of us. Matthew 6, he tells us that if he can handle the flowers and he can handle the birds and he can handle the butterflies, he can handle the things of our lives. And yet we will take so much time, so much effort to risk everything that we have to rebel against God because we do not want to obey the Lord. So Jonah gets up. Verse 3, he rose to flee from Tarshish, to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So it goes on and says, so he, he, he went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. I want you to hear me this morning. That disobedience is sin before God. And that disobedience and that sin before God will lead to distance from God. Sin will not take you closer to God. Disobedience will not take you closer to God. Sin and disobedience always leads to distance. Distance in our relationship with the Lord. Distance in our fellowship with the Lord. Distance in our interaction with other people. Distance in the people that love us and the people that He's called us to love. Sin and disobedience always leads to to distance. You see, the lie that's out there today is that there are sins that are secret sins that don't affect anybody. That there are secret sins that don't bother anybody. That there are secret sins that doesn't have anything to do with anybody. But the reality is, is that your personal holiness affects everyone. Just this last week for a, a class that I'm taking, I was having to read a book um, by the author of Richard Baxter. He was an 18th century pastor and he's writing, uh, called the Reformed Pastor, but he's writing this book and he's writing to the ministers and the whole first third of the book, he talks about saying that minister, you won't be worth your salt if you are not holy before the Lord. That their whole ministry will be impacted and will be the fruit of their personal holiness before God. Now, so there, you may be here this morning and you may say, well, you know what? My sin doesn't bother anybody. What I do with my time doesn't impact anybody. But your sin will cause distance between you and God. And your sin will cause distance between you and other believers in Christ. Well, Spence, how can you say that? Because I've read the Bible. And every time you see sin creep in, distance is right behind it. So what happens here in the life of Jonah? Jonah says, I am not going to do what God tells me to do, disobedience. He says, and I'm not going to stay here in what is modern day Israel and sit here and know that I'm in disobedience for God. That's guilt and conviction. So then he says, I am going to try to assuage it. I am going to try to deal with it by getting up and leaving. That is distance. And I wonder how many of us in this room this morning are actively pursuing distance from God. How many of us this morning are more comfortable with disobedience than obedience? How many of us in here this morning know what God wants us to do, and yet we're doing everything we can to not do it? 
So Spence, what should I do? Spence, what, what are we going to see from the life of Jonah? Well, as we're going to come on, come along in these next few Sundays, we're going to see what God does to Jonah. But for the case, for the sake of our time here this morning, what do you do? If you're heading in the wrong direction, what do you do? Well, let me just encourage you this morning that if you find yourself moving in the wrong direction, stop. Stop. Well, does it have to get, isn't it more complicated than that, Spence? Isn't it more theologically deep than that? No. If you're sinning against God, stop. If you're moving in the wrong direction, stop. If you're going in a way that God does not want you to go, if your behaviors, your lifestyles, your vices, your pleasures, your hobbies, all these things, the way you spend your time, the way you spend your resources, the way you spend the abilities and the things that God has given you, if you're using them for the wrong reasons, for the wrong purposes, stop. Well, then what do I do? So I stop. Then what do I do? You stop and you repent. You repent. Now, repent is not a 360 picture. Repent is a 180 picture. The idea of repent is that you turn around, you were heading in this direction, and you turn around and you go back in that direction. Why? Because that is a direction back towards God. That way was headed towards the world. That way was headed towards disobedience. That way was headed towards sins. That way is headed towards God. So you stop, you turn around, you repent, and you return back to God. Was that a one-time thing? No, it's not. In fact, there's some of us in this room that we need to stop, repent, and return more often than we bathe. It's a regular thing. It's a regular thing that when that moment comes to your mind and you're like, you know what? I shouldn't be doing that. God doesn't want me to do that. I should not continue in this direction. You think, I'm going to stop. I'm going to repent and say, God, I'm sorry. Please don't, please forgive me for that. I need to get my mind right. I need to change what I'm doing. And then we turn around and we go back to God. You may say, well, it's got to be more complicated than that. No, it's not. Well, does that mean I can only do that on Sunday mornings? No, 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 anytime. Anytime God brings to your mind a sin or disobedience, you stop, you repent, and you return. So what is the good news out of these first three verses? Oh, all we have is God telling Jonah what to do. All we have is then Jonah responding to God. We see this picture of obedience that God expects. We see this picture of, di- of disobedience that Jonah reveals. But what is the good news? So we look at these three verses and you're like, okay, Spence, but what does this mean for us today? Well, there's three things that I want you to see with me and then we'll bring this time to a close. The first thing is this, God is always God is always there. We're going to see in the next couple of weeks that even though Jonah gets on the boat and he gets on the boat and they've left Joppa and they're on the way to Tarshish, God is still there. There is nowhere that you are going to find yourself in this life where God is not at. The fancy $10 word is the omnipresence of God. What that simply means is, is that God is everywhere at all times. You may say, well, how does he do that? I don't know. I'm not God. He's God. He's got to figure it out. All I know is that God is everywhere at all times. Are there other people that are omnipresent like Satan? No, Satan is not omnipresent. The devil and his minions are not omnipresent. You and I are not omnipresent. There is God and he is omnipresent, which means he is always there, which means he is there late at night, when you're watching the computer. Which means that he's with me when I'm being cut off in traffic. 
which means that he is there in your workplace watching your idleness when you're supposed to be productive, which means that he's there seeing what you look to on your phone, which means that he's there at all times. There is no place that you and I, thinking like Jonah, there is no place that you and I can get so far away from God that God is not there. God is everywhere. So it doesn't matter if you think, well, I will sin here, but I won't sin there. Or uh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to come to church and I'm going to look the part and I'm going to act the part and I'm going to appear to be the part. And that way everybody will think that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You know what? God was with you in your sin last night and this morning, the same way that God is with you this morning. God is always there. And that's good news. That's good news because so many times we start to think that God has abandoned us. And remind yourself, God is always there. The second piece of good news that I find for me this morning is that you cannot outrun God. Jonah gets up and he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make my way as fast as I can down to Joppa. I'm going to get down to Joppa. I'm going to get on the boat headed to Tarshish. And I'm going to get out there before God can catch up with me. Before God can figure it, I'm gone. Before God can do all that stuff, I am going to be there. There's no way that you and I are going to outrun God in this world. God's smarter than you. God's faster than you. God's got it handled. I was about 13 years old and my grandfather was well into his 50s. And I'm riding around with grandpa one day as he's working in the oil field. And you know, as a 13 does, I start running my mouth. I do it, still do it as a 41-year-old, but I was, I've gotten a little bit better at it. But as a 13-year-old, I'm saying something to grandpa about how I can beat grandpa at a foot race. And Grandpa looks over at me and says, you think I can beat you at a foot race? And I said, oh, I, I know I can smoke you at a foot race. And so it wasn't but maybe 50, 75 yards up, up the road, there was a, a, a wheel that had, or a tire that had come off the wheel and is over on the side of the road. So my grandpa pulled over the truck and he said, and he said, so you think you can outrun me to that tire? I said, absolutely. In fact, I can make it there and back before you get there. I, I know I got this in the bag. So we lined up there in front of his truck and we took off. And I lost. I lost handily. I didn't lose by a nose. I didn't lose by a hair. I lost by four or five body lengths at best. He just flat whooped me. And there wasn't a year or two years that would go by after that that he wouldn't remind me. Later on in life, when he got up in his middle 70s, two knee replacements, prostate cancer head, ravaged his body. I remember him looking back and one of the last few conversations I had with my grandfather, I remember him asking me, do you remember? Do you remember me outrunning you? And I said, yeah, Grandpa, I think I could take you today, but I, I remember back then when you outran me in the foot race. You know, that's what I think of when it comes to the goodness of God, when I think of the love of God. There is no way that I can sin fast enough that I can be disobedient more. There is no way that I can outrun the love of God in my life. And even though sin tries to get me to flee, even though my guilt tries to get me to run, even though my conviction tries to get me to hide, even though those things are there, when it comes to the end of the day, God is still there and I cannot outrun God. Why? Because His mercy is more. His mercy is more. The gospel message is this. That God knows that you need forgiveness. That God knows that you need a Savior. 
So back before you and I even knew that we were a sinner, God sent his son. He sent his son to be the only perfect man that has ever lived physically on this earth. He sent his son to live a life that we could not live and then to die and pay the penalty for my sins and for your sins in a death that he did not deserve. He came and lived a life that we could not live. He died a death that we deserved. He was put in the tomb on the third day. He rose from the grave defeating death and it now sits at the right hand of the Father and the Bible says that we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even in the depth of my sin, even in the, the ways that I would try to run, even in my pursuit to try to get away from God, even in my times and my seasons of playing Jonah, God's mercy is still more. The lyrics go like this to the song what love could remember, no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. What patience would wait as we constantly roam. What father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. What riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We stood neath a, death, neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, there are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, there are many. His mercy is more. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you're stuck in a cycle of disobedience before God. You know what God wants you to do, wants you to do. You know what God is calling you to do. The question is, are you going to be obedient? God reveals His will. He reveals His purpose. He reveals His desire for our life. The question is, is are we going to be obedient this morning? Or are we going to flee in disobedience? I hope and I pray this morning, whatever it is, that you're being obedient to what God is calling you to do. Would you bow your heads with me?